Welcome back. This is Mexico the Surf Trip Part 4 with Harry Day, Too True to Lie, American podcast in Mexico. I'm not in Mexico. This is about Mexico in 1999 on a surf trip. I've got have gotten us to Acapulco and we have met Julio who is a young surfer and lifeguard on the it's not the south side of Acapulco because the ocean is south of Acapulco so I'd say the east side of Acapulco and Julio has decided to travel with us from Acapulco up coast show us surf spots um, Julio's claim to fame, there was a surf movie that was shot, I won't say around the world, but probably around the Pacific, and in a shot in Mexico showing some surf, there was two local surfers, and you could see their backs looking out towards the surf, and Julio was the one on the right. I don't remember the movie. Surf movies were like skateboard movies. It was just clips of people surfing or clips of people skating. And then some hijinks in between. You know, people doing stupid stuff, funny stuff. Just kind of hanging around. And then doing their sport of surf or skate or whatever. You know, they do surfboard. I mean, they do they do uh, snowboard movies. And they do uh, ski movies. Warren Miller did all the ski movies. I don't remember what this movie was, but he was, it was him, and that was, that was his, I guess he was kind of a local celebrity in Acapulco. We, uh, went to his dad's place on the beach. His dad was the man who had the yellow cake cocaine, not enriched uranium or unenriched uranium. It was unenriched cocaine, and he would do a little bit. And tell the story. And his story that he told at this party we were at. Was. Uh, it was in Spanish. And he was talking. He was drunk. And gesturing. And talking fast. And I could tell his story was about me. And his son Julio paddling out into the messy surf. And how I got out. And his son didn't. But he was proud. And that my rides, I would drop in on my on the wave. And I would just ride a little bit and then I would kick back out. Because the waves were real messy. And if you got caught in on the inside, you had to fight all that foam. And it was hell getting out. It was just wave after wave. It was soupy. It was messy. If it were windy also, that's what we would call victory at sea conditions. If you see the old World War II war films where the ships are plowing through these waves and sprays going everywhere. When the surf was messy and big and windy too, we called it victory at sea conditioned, much choppy. So he he was acting, Julio's dad was acting like, you know, yeah, I got out, 
but I would just drop in the wave and kick back out again. I didn't ride the waves all the way in or very long. Something about riding waves all the way in makes you a real surfer, I guess. You know, I, I was more of an economical surfer. You know, I'd, I'd make the drop and I'd go, and, and when I noticed it was going to close out or the section was done, I'd kick back out, go find another wave, get a better, longer ride. Save my energy, surf longer. Many is the time where the surf's good and you just surf until your arms cannot paddle back out to surf in more. There was no problem getting to your legs. It was your shoulders and your arms. You just, there'd be noodles, literally noodles on your side. And I remember many a time on Folly Beach when I was learning to surf those first few years, when I came in from surfing and, and showered and ate and I would I would get on the couch lay down on the couch Mike would be watching TV in his glider rocker Charles would be in his room and I'd be on the couch and I'd close my eyes and I could see the waves coming in with my eyes closed and I and that happened to me more than once like tens fifteen no you know twenties of times where you just close your eyes and you'd see the sets of waves coming in it was really interesting. So the party goes on. The man, you know, the dad is being the center of everything. He's the jefe. And so we're, we're the four of us, gringo surfers, are kind of starting to edge together. I can't remember which ones tried the cocaine. And there might have been pot too. Mota. Mota and coca. Every time we went through a roadblock, the police or the military would go, Mota, coca. And that meant marijuana or cocaine. Where is it? Do you have it? And we never did. We would be fools to travel with it. So we didn't. And they never caught us with it because we didn't have it. Um, we were trying to figure out where we were going to stay. Or were we just going to camp out there? Because there was a lot of people there. And we didn't know who was who and who was sketchy and who wasn't. Because we were pretty fresh from the uh, the fishing camp, fishing village Thievery. That's where we learned to button up our campsite when we went to bed. Anything of value was hidden. Rolled up windows, locked doors. You know, we'd leave our door, our, our sliding doors open on our vans because we were in there sleeping. But you couldn't reach in and grab anything because you couldn't see anything. There wasn't anything to be seen of value. You know, that's where we learned, finally, that things happen while you're sleeping. Things probably happen while we're out in the water, and we just didn't know it. That's why we always left someone at the van. Acapulco, South Beach. Julio's like, I guess he saw us talking about, you know, we're we're winding down and figuring out what we were gonna do. And he was like, you you. He spoke pretty good English. He said, y'all should come stay at my place. And we we're like, sure, that'd be great. And so we load up. I don't think he had a vehicle. So he rode with me or Carter one. And we uh, left the beach and, and went along, got on the highway, which was, the, again, the two-lane, bumpy state highway or, 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 or national highway that followed the coastline. And we only went a little ways, and then we turned and started going up into the canyons, up into the hills above, above the ocean. 
and as we started seeing the houses, we could tell that it, this this was not fancy the fancy part of Acapulco. This was just outside of Acapulco, where all the people that probably worked in Acapulco lived. And the roads were dirt. Um, we did see power lines, and I think they had running water. But Julio's house was a small, rectangular-shaped cinder block house with just a simple pitched roof. And just below the eave and at the top of the walls of his house, it was open. It was just open air. So he didn't have central air heat, obviously. He did have a door. I think it was a metal door. Most most of these places, most of these houses I noticed were uh, cinder block houses with metal doors that locked. There was no landscape here. There was no grass. It was a dirt yard. It was kind of a plateau. Like it was a leveled off ridge where we were. And uh, we parked our vans just below this little ridge flat top in the middle of this neighborhood on a mountainside across from a garage that was locked up and we all went up to the house and I remember he, Julio's wife was there a young, a young lady a young woman young girl whatever like Julio same age young 20s and he introduced us to her and I was the only one that like shook her hand and said it was nice to meet you and Julio looked at me, and then Carter or Sai looked at me like I, everybody looked at me like I did something wrong. And Julio said, "Hey, man, that's my woman." I was like, "I know. I'm just saying hi." And so that blew over real fast. We looked at their place; it was small. We ended up giving them a Sublime tape, a cassette tape. This is '99. Um. I don't know if it was there or later in the trip, but I just remember distinctly he loved that tape. He loved that band. It was the uh, the big. It was their third big album that they recorded at Willie Nelson's studios in Texas. So everybody's trying to figure out we're going to sleep. No one sleeps inside his house, which is small. Um, Carter probably slept in his van. Sai slept over next, just outside the front door under the eave of the house which was narrow again I don't know where Nate slept I made a pallet out under this tree that was out in front of his house and it was a tree that had those giant pods that they that um, vendors would sell as shakers when the pods of this tree dried and fell to the ground you could pick them up and shake them like a like a like a shaker Chicka, 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 like a maraca, except it was natural. And so I laid my pallet out and my sleeping bag under this tree, and whenever a breeze would come up the mountain and go through this tree, it would have it would have the rattle of all these of all these little natural shaker pods, and it was so cool, and it was lulling me to sleep. But then you would hear a dog bark somewhere nearby at a house you know who knows what it was you know probably it was barking at a sound or someone walking by on the little winding dirt road that wound through the neighborhood up and down the mountain but when this one dog barked it would ripple out to other dogs nearby that would bark and that would ripple out to dogs near them that would bark 
and it was like an epicenter going out of dog barks. And that was all night. Every 20 minutes on average. But in between those 20 minutes of the dog bark epicenter ripple effect was the rooster. <laughs> Roosters, just they don't just crow at dawn. A rooster would crow somewhere in the area, in the village, in the, in the mountainside neighborhood. And that would ripple out. And other roosters would crow. And that would ripple out from them. And others' roosters would crow. And so every 15 minutes, roughly, the dog bark ripple would, would just emanate out the mountainside. And then in between the dog bark ripples, the rooster crow ripples would go out. And even though it was such a neat experience, and 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 it, it was it was a complete different culture than I'd ever been to or experienced. I didn't sleep at all that night, as far as I can remember. I might have slept a few hours before dawn. And to really put the chocolate icing on the cake of that night. I guess it was before dawn and the dogs and roosters were doing their thing and I was like, enough. And I went to get in my van, which was just down the hill, but I went around the road, about a 50 foot walk. But you go down off the front of the flat where his house was in the front dirt yard and the tree. You go down and you go left and back around to where the vans were parked. And I went around to get in my van to try to at least and clo close it off to where I couldn't hear the dogs and the roosters to try to get an hour sleep that's all I wanted and so I'm walking around the back side of my van where the door is against the uh, hillside and I feel a squish it, you know it's getting light and I feel a squish underneath my sandal but I don't think anything of it. And I get in my van, I close the door, and I take my sandals off, and I lay down. And it doesn't take 30 seconds for the smell of feces to fill my van. And I'm like, what in the world? I must have stepped in dog dew. And so I, I find my sandals, and I stepped in dew. But it wasn't dog dew, I found out. I throw my sandals out of the van and close it. And I might, I might have gotten an hour's sleep. You know, I slept a little while. I think they came and woke me up when the sun was good and high. Or when the sun was out and up and shining on stuff. And it was getting warm in the van. I get out of the van. I look down. And all along the ground between my van and where the hillside starts to go up to Julio's yard. Must have been seven piles of human feces. So overnight... That's where people were going to the bathroom, or had gone to the bathroom. And so by the time I've got to go to the bathroom and it's daylight, I'm not going to go there. And so I realized down the road is a main mountain dirt road, and on the other side of it is a washout ditch. And so I go off and drop down into this washout ditch and use the bathroom. Number two. Lovely, isn't it? Why, thank you. Uh, at some point, I'd cleaned my sandals off in the dirt, I guess. And I told everybody the story, and they just roared. Julio didn't have plumbing. 
Maybe he just brought his own water in in jugs because he didn't have a bathroom. And apparently there was no, there were no sewer lines up there because we saw, I saw poo in the ditch over there too. So this neighborhood along the mountainside is the epitome of third world because it smelled like wood smoke and it smelled like poo. And those were the two smells besides the ocean and maybe our own exhaust from our vans that we smelled the most in Mexico was wood smoke and poo. Wood smoke for people cooking, boiling water. I doubt they were heating anything because it was, it was you know getting later on in April and it was warm down there. And then poo because everybody just went and pooed apparently everywhere. And uh, Julio breaks the news to his wife that he's going with us and he's going to go to America. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what? You're going to America? And that's when Carter and Nate say, yeah, he's going to come work for us for our uh, surf shop that we're going to start. I'm like, oh, perfect. You're going to take a Mexican national across the border. Well, that's your business, man. He's riding with y'all when y'all cross the border. Because we put a vote to it if he goes with us. And we all voted for him to go with us. Because it was a good, he was going to be a guide. And he knew he knew everything from Acapulco all the way up to Puerto Vallarta where his half-brother lives. And his dad. So who was the other guy if his dad was in Puerto Vallarta? Maybe that was just his boss. Who was the head lifeguard legend. Who was telling the stories in Spanish. And and doing co yellow cocaine and he had heard, he asked me where I was from I remember that and I said Mississippi and he was like oh I love he he said in English I lo me love Mississippi I've been there New Orleans he was thinking the river I didn't correct him he was a big guy but he was really cool and he was our host and Julio's friend and you know you don't you don't correct your host so Julio gets his board. He has a shorter board than the rest of us, so it, it stacks onto all the boards on top of the vans real easily. Tie them all down. He gets a little bag of clothes. Doesn't need much. And we're off. I don't think he had any money. If he did, he didn't have much. And so uh, we go into Acapulco. We go to the Walmart. They have a Walmart in Acapulco. This is 99, too. And and we park, and there's this just roaring loudness of rock and roll music, American rock and roll music. There are these two huge speakers out in front of Walmart blaring rock and roll music. And, we, and you know, gringos, we all look at each other, and we're like, wow, that's loud. And so we go into Walmart, and it looks it looks like any 1999 Walmart that you would probably see in America, except it had all the Mexican products and American products, and it had cheerleaders. Yes, you heard me right. The Walmart in Acapulco had cheerleaders. There were cheerleaders when you walked in, Mexican girls in cheerleader outfits, and their cheerleader outfits had uh, logos on them, for whatever product they were cheerleading. I remember in the liquor and beer aisle, which they had, there were Bacardi cheerleaders 
next to the Bacardi bottles of liquor. They were all pretty girls. And they were just, that was their job, to hang out and and be cheerleaders. And they didn't do cheers, really. They just kind of hung out in cheerleader outfits, promoting the product that they were uh, promoting. <laughs> and I, I, I don't remember, there was, there were maybe, there weren't a lot of cheerleaders. You know, there were some when we walked in. I remember the Bacardi girls on the liquor and beer aisle. There were some other ones here and there. There weren't any with the fresh produce or meat. It was with products, with labels, you know, that kind of stuff. That was interesting. That was definitely interesting. So we get, we get, we, we, we stock up on things we need for food and drink and travel. And may, maybe some first aid supplies just in case. I don't think we needed much of that. Sunscreen, aloe. You know, the sun was intense down there. We In the middle of the day, we stayed in the shade. If there was surf, we just, you know, we wore our rash guards and uh, on, on top. Because your legs are in the water, so you don't worry about your legs. Rash guards for sun protection and zinc oxide. You get it in a tube. And the tube is uh, like a neosporin tube, except it's the white zinc oxide. And it's basically like putting white paint on your face almost. And the water doesn't wash it off. And you do not get sun where you put the zinc oxide. And that basically saved our cheeks and noses and bottom lip from the sun on this trip. And so now, I really want to say this is where we got rid of Sven, the uh, German-Swiss guy. We took him to a bus station so he could go back to where he came from in Escondido. No, that's not true. We went to this surf spot, and I don't see it on here. It was where a river hit the Pacific Ocean. We had to go through big groves of palm trees, and Sven was with us. Was Julio with us? I think this was before Acapulco, and this play, this was the best wave. I could have sworn that was up at Ixtapa, Zihuatanejo. It was just north of that. So I'm I'm like at a point where I'm not sure which side of Acapulco the best wave we caught was. But I know that Sven was with us because he stayed with the van the whole time. And all four of us got to go surf. And uh, I'll just tell you about this surf spot because I, I, I'm i not real sure where it is. And I don't see a river on here. I know it wasn't way down by Escondido, although it could have been. There was a... There was a a medium income for Mexico resort at this beach and it had a rock jetty that must have been 40 feet tall and equally as wide so that's a lot of rock that came out into the ocean and on the beach side was where the wave at the end of the jetty started to break and then broke right for a couple hundred yards. This was a long right ride. And on the 
other side of the jetty was where a river came out and emptied into the ocean. And then on the back side of that was a, uh, a, a, a small peak. And we never went over there. I might have climbed it once just to get just to get a view from up high, but I really, I really don't think we did much with that because we were so busy surfing. This long right, you'd catch this right, and the and the waves are head high, easily standing on your board as high as your head, maybe a little higher. And it jacked up where the river ended at the uh, jetty. It, if you're face looking out at it, it jacked up. And then started peeling off to the left. So if you're catching a wave, it's peeling to the right. And we were just catching wave after wave after wave. And and you ride it for a hundred yards, easily a hundred yards, front side, going right, up and down the wave. But you couldn't waste too much time going up and down the wave because after about a hundred yards, there was a closeout section, and you had to get as much speed as possible to get through that section, which was only about. 30 yards wide and if you got through it then you had another long run of, of a smaller wave but that that would give you like a 250 yard ride which is a long ride for surfing I never could make it through that uh that section where it closed out I'd be right in the middle of it going as fast as I could and it would close out on me I would just I would hang in there and it would just dump on you and, and either push you down or push you down, pick you up, push you back down again. But everything was sand on the bottom. So you, it didn't hurt. And then you had that 200-yard paddle back out to where the wave peaked and broke. And that was a lot of paddling just to get back out there. And after, you know, 10 rides, you're noodle-armed, but you just kept going. But once you once you surf that much and paddle that much, your legs start to get a little tired finally. And getting to your feet on the board, which has got to be a spring to feet, you only have a second to get to your feet and cut right, or you're just going to screw up the wave, or your ride on the wave. That ride, that was that that place was so amazing. That ride was so amazing. People were all on the beach watching four gringos make this big right and ride the the ride all the way down two french people came out a boy and a girl a man and a woman whatever they were they were younger than us and asked us where are those guys surfing and we were we were parked out at the end of the jetty but across the river so we didn't have to mess with anybody over there at the uh at the resort which was a mexican resort it wasn't for uh i, I really didn't see there were some french people there but it wasn't like a ritzy place. And what what we did was we were on the other side at this small jetty that ran perpendicular to the long jetty. And we parked out on the top of that and, and car camped. And we just climbed down the rocks and, and paddled across the river to where the, the wave broke. And ride them way out there to the right and paddle back, paddle back. And when we were done, we just paddle back across the river mouth and climb back out on the rocks and up to our vans and uh, that night we made dinner and that was the night that Carter and Nate decided to start picking on me and I don't know if it was because the French people that came out to ask if we were the surfers I don't know who else it could have been they 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 were talking to me more than anybody else I guess because I'm so talkative if you hadn't figured that out and 
we had eaten dinner and I was going to do the dishes and the plates and the whatnot, the cookware. Well, I mean, we didn't have a lot of stuff, but I hadn't done it yet. And they started digging into me about how I never helped them. I hadn't been pulling my weight. And I was like, what the hell are y'all talking about? I hadn't pulled my weight. I'm the PR guy. I'm the I'm the translator. I'm the guy that talks to everybody. I'm I'm the reason we met Julio. And they're like, hey, well, yeah, but you haven't been cooking. And I'm like, y'all haven't asked me to cook. I'll cook. I've been cleaning the dishes when we're done. What's your problem? And uh, I think Sven took up for me. Um, I don't think Sai was there yet. So this had to have been before Acapulco. I see a river called the Verde that runs from the capital of Oaxaca, the city of Oaxaca, down to the coast. And I'm almost absolute now that this was in Oaxaca. And that, that right was so amazing. So really I've regressed on episode four, part four. I got us to Acapulco, but now I've had to reel it back to the Verde River where we, we caught the best surf of the trip. Not the biggest that was at Truncones, and that, that was with Sai, because I watched Sai wipe out and thought he had died. And I'll get to that, I'm sure, in, in an episode or two. Once I figure out where the heck we were and what we were doing, I really feel like maybe I should read the journals so I can clean this up. But I'm probably not gonna. Wow, you know what? I just noticed that Acapulco in Mexico is known as Acapulco de Juarez. And the capital is Chilpancingo. Chilpancingo. Never heard of it. Chilapa. Chilapa's right outside of it. I wonder if you can get a chilupa in Chilapa. That's the state of Guerrero. Oh, the horror. Well, let's get back to Acapulco because I got a little bit of time. Um, seems like that's where... We got back to our norm. Sai was back with us. We sent Sven off on a bus, which probably saved us from getting beaten by the police or the military, who were all very cool. It was the federales, the federal police in plain clothes that were just so shady. They really like they really messed with us at their uh, at their roadblocks. But again, we gave them no reason to uh, to. Uh, do anything to us because we hadn't done anything wrong and they never did find any mota or coca because we didn't have any mota or coca we were just surfers and they, they i guess americans that have traveled these routes before must have traveled with mota and coca because they were just certain we had it and we would like get out open our sliding doors to our vans stand back and cross our arms just sit there. I remember at one roadblock, they wanted my knife and they wanted my flashlight, and I wouldn't let them have it. I said, necesito, muy necesito, which means it was needed, much needed. I might have said that earlier. So, we've done Acapulco. We've done the Walmart with the cheerleaders, which was, you know, where 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 else have you seen that? I don't know if I've ever seen that besides an Acapulco. 
And I guess other cities in Mexico could have had that. That might have been the only time we went in the Walmart down there. <clears throat> so we're headed up coast, size in tow. So I'm pretty sure Si missed that perfect right. And man, that's too bad. That's too bad. Up the road is Ixtapa and Zihuatanejo. I'm missing something. I've got a few minutes here. I'm I'm missing something. There was a point still before Acapulco where it happened after we picked up Sven and it happened on the way to the Verde River. And I remember now, we met Sven. Sven was staying with a family in Puerto Escondido and they had a son that was about 10 years old and he knew this surf spot at the Verde River where we had the longest right and his dad said it'd be cool if he went with us because he knew Sven who'd been staying with him to go to the surf spot well it took a while to get to that surf spot when we drove to it and when we got there we surfed until late in the day and decided to camp there and Sven and the boy seemed to think that it's okay that he didn't get back that night you know it's cool no problems I remember catching the boy in the back of my van going through our food boxes and eating food and I was like hey if you're hungry man just let us know we'll make you something to eat I mean if you're hungry he was eating like granola bars or something that may he had had like six of them <laughs> poor kid was starving with a bunch of strange gringos and a and a, a whack job uh police hating swiss german and so that next day me me and Sven, with all, all us gringos decided we've got to get this boy home it's, it's morning and i bet his parents are flipping out because we said we were going to go back and we didn't and Sven, you said that was cool, so you and me are going back to uh, Escondido and take this boy home. So we take him home, just me and Sven in my van, and they stay there. I guess it's just Nate and Carter. Who knows what weirdness they talked about and did or didn't do. They're, gosh, they were such weird people. Um, we get the boy home. The dad is, like, relieved. We apologize profusely to him and said we took care of him we fed him he was a good boy uh lo siento so sorry that we didn't get him home and they were good he shook our hands and so me and Sven were headed back to uh Verde River mouth on our way back <laughs> it was flat you know the land's flat fairly flat along the coastline and there was this one dip going back that we had come through before and it, it, it looked like nothing and it meant nothing when we came back before we went into this dip in the road there was a wildfire on the ocean side of the road and it was raging up that gulch and flames were flickering and, and I'm talking 10 foot high flames were were lapping into the road about halfway across and so I slow down 
and stop and I'm looking at it and I'm like it's not going to get any better let's just speed through it <laughs> so I roll my window up and floor it which with a Volkswagen Vanagon means nothing you, you don't go fast and so we go down the hill and we probably get up to 50 and roll past the flames that were literally licking the side of the van and you could feel the heat when we blew past this wildfire and we like yelled and high-fived and laughed about it but that was very memorable just because we drove through a wildfire but we were on pavement and we were going at speed so we get back we meet the guys then we go to Acapulco I've sewed it together guys I have sewed it together and I've almost finished episode four and we're still in Acapulco I don't have anything left to say about Acapulco but I hadn't gotten this out of Acapulco or the state of Guerrero which is a good good long ride up to Playa Azul I remember Playa Azul there was a shipwreck there was a boat wreck a metal boat that was sank that sank right off the beach and we were catching waves just there were little waves but they were, they were three foot waves but we were being able to ride them but you would catch the waves just right of this sunken metal boat <laughs> and then you'd go right and surf a little bit he had a Julio had a friend at Playa Azul as I recall and he ran a little bar or a little store or something but I'm going to roll that back because still in the state of Guerrero there's a point around Tecpan de Coliana or maybe Papanos there's a point there somewhere where we caught some really nice lefts and I guess what had happened in between the waves we caught at Verde River were pretty good one two days Acapulco three days Papanos somewhere in that time period a super swell came in I, w I wanna say we caught the end of it at this beach a little, a little mini resort for Mexicans and yeah you know, there was really nothing to it and I took some pictures there with a waterproof camera but we caught these nice lefts that were about shoulder high left 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 I remember we were going behind sand dunes to poop here <laughs> that's where I that's where that was when I came up with the idea that I should have been photo logging the whole uh, going to the bathroom scenarios but obviously I wasn't going to do it I wasn't going to waste the film I don't know the name of that surf spot I'm sure I've got it written down I'm failing y'all when it comes to minor details but I'm not trying to give you minor details I'm trying to give you a broad stroke of red oil paint that says Mexico surf trip and that's where I'm going to have to leave it and I'm going to figure out where that surf point was and then uh, go to Extapa Zihuataneo which are two towns next to each other and just past there is where we found a camping spot called Troncones and it was a 
break way out off a point, like a sunken point where a beach came out, stopped, rocks underwater, went further, and then it scooped back. And we planted on the inside, and that's when the super swell came through. That's when we had like 25-foot waves, and I, I was scared of them. I, I wouldn't go out in them. I paddled out to the shoulder. I almost got slammed in the shore break, and uh, Cy wiped out and broke my longboard in half. He didn't want to do it. He didn't mean to do it. We ended up writing the date on the surfboard and sticking it in the rocks and like a tombstone. Um, I'll bring us back to that, to Troncones. So we're out of Acapulco. I know you're relieved and you're happy. I hope you're happy. I'm happy that I'm not in Mexico <laughs> stepping in poop while listening to roosters and dogs play who's the loudest and who can get the farthest dog and rooster away from us to say the same thing we're saying, even though you humans don't know what we're saying. What we're saying is, wake up, wake up, wake up. Are you awake? Are you awake? That's the dog and the rooster version, right? All right. Number four in the bag. We're still near Acapulco. This is going to take forever, but I have fun doing it, and I hope you have fun listening to it. This is Harry Day. Too true to lie. I won't lie to you. I will true to you. Peace.